0: Today, we will study our second story about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. If you remember, Mark is a short but action-filled account of Jesus' life. His primary source for Jesus came from his spiritual father, Peter. From the first chapter, Mark tells us Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God. And he shows us that a Jesus' authority was unprecedented. Everyone, including demons, recognized that a Jesus' word means new authority. The Greek word for new is not neos, but kainos. And not chronologically new, but quintessentially new. Unlike the man-made authority of a scribes, Jesus did not base his authority from anyone, but from his own being. That's the Greek word we learned last time, the authority, exousia, exousia. Literally means out of being, exousia. Jesus is the author of everything with his authority. Yeah, authority and the author goes together, right? According to the latest, Gospel writer John, there was uh, nothing made without Jesus. The authority of Jesus came from his authorship of everything. He made us in the beginning with his word, and he remakes us again with his word in his incarnate life. One of my favorite sayings about the revelatory power of Jesus' life comes from uh, uh, H. Richard Nevers book, A Meaning of a Revelation, where uh, H. Richard Neva said, Christ's life is the most intelligible event that makes all events in history intelligible. Let me repeat that. Christ's life is the most intelligible event that makes all events in history. That means your, your life story and my life story and our life story intelligible or meaningful. When you take Cornerstone Bible Study and Livingstone Bible Study and John discipleship and so forth, you will see this truth that knowing Jesus opens our eyes, not just about ourselves, but about the world and the God's purpose and for life. Today, we will see another authoritative story of Jesus happens in Peter's house in Capernaum. It was a basically a healing story, but I call it a scandalous healing of the breakthrough. As you will see, this healing story created a breakthrough of many levels. So let's read our text together. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, 2. Uh, ch- chapter 2, verse 1. And I'm reader from here and there, so uh, pay attention here. As a few days later, when Jesus again entered the Capernaum, people heard that he had come home. Now, look at me. The context of today's story was after Jesus healed many people in Mark chapter 1, and his fame spread like a wildfire in Galilean area, that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him everywhere. Finally, Jesus returned to Capernaum, and most likely Peter's house. Because when you look at the Mark chapter 1, that's where Jesus first healed Peter's mother-in-law, and scholars think that from that point on, Peter's home became a Jesus' headquarter in Galilean ministry. That's why people thought Jesus had come home. Now, let's see what happened when you host Jesus in your life. Verse 2. They gathered in a such a large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside door, and he preached the word to them. Peter's house became the happening place in Capernaum. It became a de facto synagogue, probably bigger than any synagogue. There was not even a standing room. Sofa, so good. Peter is a happy. Don't you love your house become a happening place? And everybody wants to come to your house. That's what's happening. Let's look at the verse 3. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Then lower the mat the man was lying on. All of a sudden, now, Peter heard heavy footsteps on the roof. Then a thudding and thumping sound that caused a dust falling and then debris dropping. All of a sudden, there was a skylight opened up and then human eyes appeared. If you're the homeowner, how do you feel? Someone shot. Well, somebody with a, a lot of uh, a roof leakage, I know the, 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 the I, I imagine the face of Peter. Now, someone shouted, Hey guys, I see Jesus down. And then a more and louder breaking sound and bigger debris falling. And lo and behold, not an angel, a paralyzed man on the mat was lowered slowly from the top and asking, who might be Jesus of Nazareth? What would you do if you were Peter? Not just the teaching session with Jesus was ruined. His house was ruined. Before we look at the rest of the story, I want us to know this story must have felt a lasting impact for Peter or major breakthrough to Peter. Because the same event was recorded in Matthew chapter 9, And Luke chapter 5, they all reported the same incident, but it was Peter who in Peter's account or Mark's account, there were actually four friends or four people who ruined the roof of his house. Only household owner who has to file the insurance claim knows how many people were on his roof. Okay, Hosting, Jesus. And inviting people to Jesus is risky and sometimes costly. It will make your life inconvenient and unpredictable. Definitely not easy. But one thing Peter would tell us, hosting Jesus will give us a breakthrough story to tell. Yes, with Jesus, we make a major breakthrough for life. So let's see how Jesus responded. Verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, look at me. Jesus saw their faith. That's the first breakthrough in this scandalous healing story. What others consider rude, annoying, and disruptive, Jesus saw it as a faith. And here we might, we need to see an important breakthrough of a faith. Most people do not come to Jesus alone on their own. But they were brought to Jesus by those who already have faith in Jesus. Let me repeat that. This story illustrates one important truth. That is, it is a faith of a friend who ultimately let her paralyze to face Jesus. Likewise, many of us come to Jesus through other people's faith. What kind of faith do you see in the four friends of this paralyzed man? I want us to run quickly. I want to run through quickly four characteristics of their faith. First one, their faith was a compassionate faith. The word compassion is not here, you used to here, but we see it. At some point, these men had a conversation and they heard about Jesus. Maybe some of them uh, were healed by Jesus or somebody they know were healed by Jesus. So they decided to bring their friend to Jesus. Their compassion for their friend led them to action. And here, I want us to recognize one thing. This paralyzed man, unfortunate, you know, uh, man with an unfortunate problem was not a cursed man. Is actually a blessed man. He may not have a lot of money or lived in the big house, but he had four friends in his life who cared for him, loved enough to bring him to Jesus. Yes, this paralyzed man has something money cannot buy. He had a love and compassion of those men in his life. And God was about to do an incredible work on this man's life because his friends Loved him. You know, God loves to work in the atmosphere of love and compassion. Colossians chapter 3, 12, 12 Paul said this. Therefore, as a God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, close yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Notice, the first thing God's chosen, holy beloved people wear is compassion compassion. Because our God is a God of compassion. That's the first characteristic of their faith. Second, their faith is committed or persistent. Verse 4, since they could not get to their friends to Jesus because of the crowd, when they got there, there was a crowd packed inside a house, I bet packed outside of the house, around the house, listening to us, they, you know, according to Luke chapter 5, verse 18, they tried to take Jesus inside to the house, but people would not budge. It. Budge. And people were saying that quiet, people were listening to Jesus' word, they saying, quiet. Or people said, that, you, you, you know, please, you know, ch- check Jesus later. And all this opposition would not stop them. And you know why? Because they are committed to their friends. They are persistent. They are convinced that Jesus could do something and they were going to get this man to Jesus one way or another. Now or never, there was no tomorrow for them. This is only today. Today is the day their friends are going to be healed. So that led them to the roof. There on the thickness of the roof, scholars think it's one foot to two foot, You know, I'm not sure, but uh, it is a Mediterranean area. So it's a real, and also material is not as good as today. So it is most likely very, you know, hot summer. I mean, hot territory, hot climate, and it must be thick roof. And there, on the thickness of the roof, we actually see thickness of their commitment to their friend and their persistent faith. Third characteristic of their faith is a creative faith. Faith that truly believes that Christ is the only way will be inventive. Faith will find a way. Look at the verse 4 again. They could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So, so what? So they quit? So they gave up? So they went home? Or so they just decided to pray about it? So they just sat outside waiting and hoping they would get to see Jesus? No. Mark says they could not bring to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. We are not told whose idea it was, but faith understands there is more than one way to tie your shoes. If you can get to Jesus through the front door, They are saying, we are going to go through the roof. Where there is a will, there is way. There is a creative. Sometimes we will have to do something a little creative, a little drastic to get people to Jesus. Sometimes doing a ministry as a normal doesn't reach people. Faith will drive you out of your comfort box. And let me be clear. This is not being a creative for the creative sake. If these four men had arrived at the house where Jesus was at and could walk through the front door, they would have walked through the front door. They had to be creative because the normal way of getting this man to Jesus wasn't going to happen. When they, when Jesus saw the creativity of their faith, Jesus said, "The Bible said Jesus was seeing their faith in action." And finally, number four. We, here, we see a courageous faith. We must have a courageous faith if we plan on reaching out to people. Mark tells us in verse 4, this man dug a hole through the roof. They dug a hole big enough to lower a man through. They did not ask for permission. They just start digging. I can imagine four men on the roof thought about the (laughs) owner being a man and maybe someone getting upset with them digging through the roof, but they did it anyway. Whenever God lays someone on your heart to share Christ with them, whether it's a family member, friend, or a neighbor, or a perfect stranger around the world, it'll take courage. One more thing to remember, these four men knew the difference between the value of the roof and value of their friend. They understand that they understood that fixing a roof is a lot easier than fixing a paralyzed friend. This man could repair the roof, but only Jesus could repair their friend. So they did their part. And when we do that, Jesus will do his. So when Jesus saw the courage of their faith, Jesus was seeing their faith in action. Here, we must see that marks you know, uh, uh, the fiction of a uh, faith. A commentator said this. Here, faith is not simply intellectual conviction, but boundary breaking activity. The faith of a uh, four friends who disrupt the assembly is praise. Faith is not so much a precondition for healing. But rather, it dramatizes the willingness of a suffering people to break through the physical, social boundaries in order to approach Jesus. Faith breaks through the barriers to bring a person to Jesus. And notice this. Jesus loved and blessed such a daring act to see and seek Him. Therefore, brothers and sisters, do everything in seeking and demanding the full attention of Jesus. Jesus loves the disruptive. Jesus loves the disruptive. Make your prayer disruptive. Disrupt the throne of God. Let me tell you, ministry is all about disrupting God for the glory of Jesus Christ. On this note, I want to take a minute to share my testimony about God's healing of my COVID-19. I was healed by God's mercy through the love and prayer of a faithful people in my life. When Jessica Jung told me last December, just tell forest people to do their best to avoid the COVID-19 because Pastor Paul, it was the most horrible sickness experience I ever had. As you know, Jessica, is a nurse and COVID ICU unit at the Plain of Baylor Hospital, and her warning was not an overstatement. At first, my body was responding mildly with a fever, body aches, chills, cold sweat, uh, vomit, constant nauseousness, and heightened smell that Jamie and I jokingly called the COVID morning sickness. Then on the eighth day morning, I had a hard time breathing. And while measuring my oximeter in the break, on, the, on the breakfast table, I passed out. I fell to the ground. I don't know. It's kind of uh, got better now, but I had a bruiser here. I never you know, fainted in my life. When I ga- regained my consciousness and couldn't move, I called out Jamie. And that's when we decided to take antibody infusion the next day and my body had a very acute, intense reaction to antibody infusion in the first 24 hours. My fever went up, went over 102, and every symptom was constant and almost unbearable. The last time I was in such a physical pain was when I was in cardiac ICU for my heart failure about uh, nine years ago. Honestly, this was worse. At ICU, I had a morphine. With the COVID, I only had a 1000 gram Tylenol and melatonin, but I could not sleep nor rest. I actually prayed to God that I was ready to see him. <laughs> yeah. The only regret I had was my mother was still alive. I'm not honoring her, yeah. I didn't feel bad for my ch- my wife or my children, only for my, you know. Actually, Jamie will be richer because I have a term life insurance. And uh, I'm sorry, you know, maybe I didn't finish my mission with you at Forest, but, uh, you know, at least I kept my promise that uh, this will be my last church. Yes, it will be my last church. <laughs> but I felt bad for my mother. Seriously. And this, anyway. So I prayed to the Lord. That if he still loves me, give me a sleep, Because that's what Bible promised, that God gives a rest to those whom he may love. Or at least to strength to bear the antibody effects. I don't really remember how time passed out, but it just did. During the whole audio, your constant prayers sustained me. I really don't know how some COVID patients without families and friends handle their sickness all by themselves. I thank God for everyone who prayed for me. It was your prayer and faith through which God delivered me from the crisis. And let's continue to pray for one another. And please don't put don't don't take off your guard with the extra caution. Let's really protect each other. Let's you know from this uh, pandemic in this uh, last remaining months. Now, let's return to our story. When four friends lowered their paralyzed friend to Jesus, they were relieved to see Jesus' affirming look. Then they heard something unexpected, so scandalous. Jesus told their sick friend, Son, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus' response to their faith was an unexpected statement. Son, your sins are forgiven. this pronouncement was so startling because it seems inappropriate and even irrelevant to this immediate situation. Look at the verse 6 to see the scandalous, shocking reaction of some people. Verse 6, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He was blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, the shock of teachers of the uh, law or scribes was understandable if we consider their religious tradition and history. The only time Jewish people heard God's forgiveness of their sins from a human being was a day of atonement or Jewish people called Yom Kippur when once a year the high priest pronounced forgiveness of one's sin upon their confession and their bringing offering of, a guilt, of uh, a guilt offering or sacrifice. And today was not a yom keeper. Nor this place was Jerusalem temple. And Jesus was not the high priest either. Without sacrifice, without temple, without any divine mandate, they heard, The radical, scandalous statement of a forgiveness of sin from Jesus today. They were so offended that they say they utter the the most scary word of a Jewish people at the time. That is a blaspheming against God, the highest religious crime to Jewish people. Now, why did Jesus make such a scandalous and dangerous? statement instead of a simple healing that he he just could, you know, he has done so many times before. I want us to learn three important meanings of this statement. And I want us to make a spiritual breakthrough for ourselves through that. First of all, Jesus wants us to recognize our deep need more than our felt need. Jesus wanted us to recognize our deep need more than our felt need. These friends were driven by their concern for their friend's health. The issue at hand was sickness and healing, not sin and forgiveness. They did not break through the roof for forgiveness of their friend's sin. Jesus knew their heart and loved their faith. but And Jesus was not denying or discounting their requests for healing. But Jesus was revealing a deeper need and greater truth. Here we must clearly hear Jesus telling them and all of us today that your pain, your paralysis, your circumstance do not define you. And let me define you more than your urgent need. You came to me for your felt need, but I am here to manifest your deepest needs. And I will meet your deep need more than your felt needs. What Mark is highlighting here is a very particular truth about Jesus as a Messiah. Messiah is an agent of a salvation. He is a lone actor. He alone rightly and reliably perceives the heart of every human heart. He alone can whisper the sweet sentence that son and daughter, your sins are forgiven. This man's life, he probably thought of his paralysis as his greatest curse. This was probably the worst part, the things he could never get away from. It was the most obvious lack, his most felt need. Yet Jesus uses this felt need to engage and satisfy his deepest need. It was his paralysis that made it possible. You might even say that it was his paralysis that qualified him to come to the Messiah who was constantly on the move. This sin set the stage for the rest of the gospel of Mark because many people came to see Jesus for their different needs and Jesus always tried to reveal their deeper need. Following Christ and being a part of his kingdom doesn't mean, let me tell you, all of your felt need will be met. It doesn't mean whatever ails you will be instantly healed. It doesn't mean you will finally get all those goals and comforts and conveniences you long for. It doesn't mean that. Don't even believe that any anybody who's saying that. Uh, oh, you know, that's what it means to have a be a Christian or have a faith. Rather, it means that you adopt a different perspective about your felt need. You get a different perspective in which. Your felt need become an opportunity to encounter the Messiah, the Christ. And as the answer to your deepest need is the need of your soul to be forgiven, the need to be fully accepted by only God, the only Lord and creator of the heavens and earth, and his son Jesus Christ, who rightfully reigns at at God's right hand to be fully accepted and loved and adored. That's what it means to stand before Messiah who loves you even though he has seen you at your worst and you're most helpless and you're most corrupt. He meets you there and he says to you, son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now, what is the deepest need of human beings? Why is the forgiveness of sin is more urgent than healing of the body? I want to tell you this. The greatest sickness is a sin. Sin is a worse than COVID-19. Hey, I'm, this is not an understatement. I still have a COVID-19. And I have to tell you, COVID-19 can be healed. What about sin? You know, you know what I'm talking about, sin? What is a sin? Sin is a cancer at the core. It's a blindness of our heart. It's an evil delight and deception of our soul. Sin is a paralysis of a heart. If you think a paralysis is a body's bad, as you see in the, you know, people struggling with uh, strokes, look at the paralysis of a heart. Instead of loving what God loves, my sin makes me love, twisted version of reality. Instead of uh, aching what pains God, my sin takes a pain at the loss of uh, my puny treasures and my personal feelings. You know, today... When Jesus talks about forgiveness and healing, actually it's very biblical. Because in the Old Testament, in a number of texts, healing and forgiveness are interchangeable. For instance, look at the Psalm 41, 4. Psalm he said, I said, Have a mercy on me, Lord, heal me, for I have sinned against you. And also Jeremiah chapter 3, verse twenty two. The prophet said, I mean, God said actually, Return faith, faith, faithless people, I'll cure you of your backsliding. And Hosea 14.4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. That is a sin. Forgiveness and healing of a heart, it goes together. My hero, Karl Barth, many people don't realize that after he retired from uh, 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 teaching, he never stopped teaching, by the way, from uh, 1958 to 1964, Karl Barth, there's one place that he preached more than any other places. That is a Basel prison in Switzerland. He preached there so many times that actually a book was published afterwards. And also, only one time that Karl Barth visited America in 1962, he he actually appeared on the cover of a Time magazine. Time magazine thought it was the greatest honor, to have great honor to have the theologian, that the you know theologian that stood up against the Nazis, and so theologian who also, you know, of a magnitude came to America. You know, Time magazine put the. A theologian's face, we're not talking about Christianity today. We're talking about Time Magazine put Calvert's face on the front cover of Time Magazine. That's the kind of a reception he received when he visited America. And guess what he it did? It, among many things he did, he visited three prisons, including San Quentin in California. And people ask, why he's so interested in prison. And then what, they, what what does it tell them? This is what Kalbar said. Look at the quote. When I come before this man, I do not have to explain that we are all sinners. They have committed everything there is. All I have to tell them is that I too am a sinner. Sin is not confined to the evil things we do. It is the evil within us, evil which we are. It is the evil within us, evil which are. All sin has its being and origin in the fact that man wants to be his own judge. I'm quoting another Colbert. In wanting to be that, thinking about acting accordingly, he and his whole world in conflict with God. It is an unreconciled world, therefore a suffering world, world given up in corruption and destruction. That is the core of sin. Sin paralyzes our heart. That's what I ache about, country. With the vaccines, we will eventually, hopefully this year, we'll overcome pandemic. But look at the Washington DC, look at the people around us, people, look at us! We have systematic racism that we deny. Majority of Christians, evangelical Christians, supported a, a president, ex-president, who stood against all the Christian virtues and moral values in the name of nationalism. Christianity Today, this month, published the article that are we creating Christian nationalism in America where German Lutherans followed Nazi ideology in the 1930s. Do you know what the rest of the world is telling American evangelical Christians? What happened to you? What's wrong with you? Can't you see? That's what sin does. Sin wrapped us, everything around our own reality, our own values, our own conveniences, our own right and wrong, instead of seeing the world as God tells us to see. Plain and simple. Sin is worse than any sickness in this world. And ultimately, the sin victimized God. You know, finally, this scandalous statement of forgiveness of sin reveals a Jesus' deep commitment to, to save us. Look at the verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this was what they were thinking in their heart. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? The scribes, they thought, you know, when they heard that Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven, they thought, oh, Jesus of Nazareth, you devilish man, you just played us. You punted a challenging of healing this incurable paralyzed into the spiritual realm of a sin and forgiveness, you're so clever that no one can verify your statement. How devil are you? They took Jesus. You have to recognize. And some today take a quinan conspiracy. Your argument, your answer is based on unverifiable rumors and conspiracy theories. Now, Know the difference between quenum holders and Jesus. Verse 10, look at this. I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I'll tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up and took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we never sinned anything like this. We have never sinned anything like this. It would be easier for Jesus just to heal and send away the paralyzed with a few words. In order to forgive his sin, you know what Jesus has to do? He has to go to the cross. He has to embody and express God's forgiveness on his own body. He took the challenge and charge of a blasphemy, with his own commitment and sacrifice. They challenge that Jesus, you just uh, punting the ball, you just playing. This on uh, un- you just pl- you just pl- playing this uh, There's a uh, game of a spiritual game of a forgiveness, and Jesus not back down for his. Uh, authority to forgive us. Jesus met the charge of a blasphemy with his broken body on the cross. That's the difference between the Quinan theory or conspiracy and Jesus. Jesus backed up with his own life. They say we never seen anything like this. This is a prophetic statement about what's coming. Jesus went to the cross to forgive us. We never seen any God who willingly went to the cross and bore the, all the charges of a blasphemy and all the ridicules, all the rejections to forgive us and heal us. We have never seen Like this. Brothers and sisters, note this. In order to make a breakthrough for us, Jesus broke his own body. When you see the Savior, you will see more than a healer. Jesus is more than useful. He's actually beautiful. He's beautiful. He's more than powerful. He is precious. He's so precious. He takes you and me so completely, so seriously in our entire being. He is not satisfied without just meeting our felt need, our urgent need. He wants to make us functional from the core of our being. He wants to touch our heart, he wants to make us live, not just to survive every day, just one more day, but he wants to live each day with the love and gratitude and joy and power of God. Hallelujah. That is the, our scandalous healer who will take our brokenness into himself. So, conclusion. I bet the eventually the whole roof was repaired and the hole was gone in a few days. But after today's story, there's a permanent hole made in people's mind. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Who could pronounce divine forgiveness of sin so simply, so powerfully? Let us ask God to heal each one of us in our nation. Let's pray.